This is State of Water. This is State of Water. State of Water. State of Water coming at you right now. State of Water, a podcast focusing on clean water issues and their relationship to policy, equity, community, and climate. Featuring captivating interviews with Michiganders from many walks of life, State of Water is the official podcast of the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan, a program of the nonprofit organization Title Track. We here at State of Water want to thank you for making this important work a part of your daily life. This is our moment. Together, we can make an impact. Hey, this is Jenny from Title Track. If you resonate with what you're about to hear, put those feelings into action. Take the first step toward getting involved by going to titletrackmichigan.org slash contact to sign up for our mailing list. State of Water is made possible through a generous contribution from the Esperance Foundation. On our last episode, Jim Olson, founder and president of Flow, shared an age-old framework called the Public Trust Doctrine, which we the people can utilize as we demand the protection of our region's water. In this second half, Jim breaks down the four pillars that guide Flo's work. When we last left the conversation, Jim was explaining the idea of the first pillar, the Sixth Great Lake, which refers to the groundwater of the Great Lakes Basin. Here to continue that conversation is Seth Bernard. So we're, we're looking at the four pillars of Flo's work and Flo's strategy currently. The Sixth Great Lake is the first, yes. which is groundwater. The second is the Great Lakes Compact particularly closing the very problematic loophole that allows for water to be bottled and exported. Uh, The third is public water, public justice, and that gets into environmental justice and racial equity. Uh, And the fourth is the Blue Communities Compact with sustainable water quality standards. So let's get into these a little bit. Uh, You touched on the sixth grade lake and groundwater uh, let's talk about the Great Lakes Compact. This was something that came about a big coordinated effort at the early part of the 21st century here. And and this loophole has really emerged to bite us. And, and you were on the front lines of this with the, the Nestle, the Michigan Citizens for Water Conservation versus Nestle uh, battle, which lasted for many years. And, you know... 
you valiantly uh, defended the public trust and the public interest in one. Um, and Nestle has really continued to to fight for their right to steal our water and, and violate public trust and, and exploit uh, the Great Lakes Basin. But let's talk about the Great Lakes Compact. How can we close this loophole that allows water to be stolen in small containers? The Great Lakes Compact grew out of a... Uh, <clears throat> it, it had always been anticipated since the mid-1980s, but, but um, there was a permit issued in Ontario in 1999 to ship, to allow the shipment uh, of water on freighters to China. And mm. that created an immense public awareness and outcry uh, to negotiate something to protect the Great Lakes with all the eight states and the two provinces, Ontario and Quebec. And you're right, uh, it was a tremendous accomplishment that occurred from 2000 to 2010. And um, it, bans diversions out of the Great Lakes Basin without getting into the details. Mm -hmm. And we were fearful that there, there was interest in pipelines being run from the Great right. Lakes out to the right. southwest. So, and yes. So there are exemptions. One is one-time humanitarian or water for, water for fire and other crises. Uh -huh. um, and then there is what's called the community or straddling community exceptions. So there are communities that straddle the boundary, Akron, Akron, Ohio, uh, uh, Milwaukee area, Chicago. Large cities straddle the basin uh, where the, the water in the basin, on one side of the uh, divide, it goes into the Great Lakes Basin and the other side, it goes outside. So, so, uh, there is a straggling community exception, which has also become a major question because of the 7 million gallon diversion um, from Lake Michigan uh, on the other side of the boundary in Mount Pleasant, Wisconsin, by mm -hmm. the city of Racine's water system for this Foxconn right. plant. And uh, the question is, well, was, does that really fit or is that, does that go beyond what was intended? And if it goes beyond what was intended, what does that mean? For all the other cities around the basin, and what is it, and what does it mean when other cities further away mm -hmm. want the water for the same reasons? Right. So, so that that's an important issue that's out there. I won't address that necessarily now, but that's another problem. There are two problems. One is the product exception or bottled water, and the other is is how we treat um, the. Uh, the straddling community exception. If, we, if it's too broad, we're gonna undo the compact. Uh, the third issue with the compact is, what are we gonna do about climate change? You can't very well have a diversion ban and miss one of the biggest diversions going on, which I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. So those are the three, mm -hmm. three crucial questions in the compact, um, in my mind. And Flo is addressing all of those. Fantastic. We filed an amicus brief, briefs in the Foxconn case. We, uh, uh, we uh, are, are working hard on the recent Nestle effort to expand their bottled water operation in uh, Everett, mm -hmm. Michigan. Um, and um, uh, we are working on uh, proposals to bring climate change within the framework of the Great Lakes Compact. Mm -hmm. So uh, th those are the things with the compact. The, 
the uh, one that you ask about, the bottled water uh, exception, is this. And it's, it's much deeper than just bottled water. So when the compact was passed and there was a diversion ban, two, there are two definitions in the compact that are important. One is the definition of diversion. At the, and that's, that's uh, pipelines, trains, you know, trucking it in big, big amounts, uh, ships, you know, no diversions, any of that kind of diversions. And in, at the end of that definition, it says, except water that is in, uh, uh, placed in a product or part of a product and, and transferred out of the basin. Well, what does that mean? Well, then you go to the defini second definition, product. Product is defined as water withdrawn by human, by human or mechanical means, by hand, you know, or mechanical means and put in a container and transferred out of the basin uh, as part of manufacturing, farming, uh, you know, uh, generational electrical power, all the things that are consumptive uses, not a diversions, which you have to protect because you lose water. But at the end of that definition, it says comma, or intended for intermediate or end use consumers. Mm -hmm. So buried, so if, if a product is water put in a container intended for intermediate and end-use consumers, what is that? It's a water export. So buried in the definition of diversion is the product exception, and buried in the product definition is water export, and therefore in the compact, by the way it's structured, water in any size container, not bottled water, intended for a consumer somewhere is exempt from the compact for God's sakes because of the definitions. It's not a diversion. So this so we got this a major really, problem. Right. And that gets into the heart of the outrage of Nestle, you know, stealing billions well, of dollars worth of water and paying a tiny right. permit. So that's there's, there's two if points. We, yeah, there's, if we close it, are are we able to stop them? How do we do this? How do we uh, ratchet it okay. down? Those those are Three, there, there's three questions in that question uh -huh. you just asked, or three parts, three parts. The, the first part is the bottle, uh, the, the, the big problem was somewhat addressed that I described about the, the export exception. There's a bulk water provision in the compact that says, well, okay, water exports are exempt from diversion, but any water in a container larger than 5.7 gallons is going to be treated as a diversion. Mm -hmm. Now, the key word there is treated as, right? That means it isn't a diversion, but it admits, it admits that it's not a diversion, which is not good, but we're going to treat it as a diversion. Well, that means it's a regulation, and at some point, the Compact Council and the states and the provinces will have to defend the... Uh, the uh, environmental impact justification of that, and we can talk about that, but, but there's an important issue, is my point. Okay, the second part. The bottled water uh, is allowed as a product export exception to the diversion ban. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is, uh, there's, just here's two, two, two problems. 
One is there's a, an implicit recognition that water is an export. When in every state, water in its natural state is not a product or an export. And if it is a product or ex export, what happens to the Great Lakes when other countries around the world start claiming that we declared water as an export in bottles, and there's no difference if it's in a bottle or some large container, uh, and, it's, and we have a right under international trade laws to take your water. You can't stop us. So that's a problem. Mm -hmm. okay? So the, the other problem that you ask about is the, 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 the visceral instinct of people about how can a company be allowed to ex uh, withdraw water, put it in a bottle and sell it somewhere, if it's public state sovereign water, why, why do they do that and why, does, why, why is it free? Why don't we get that? Why isn't that like the, you know, the, the, the lords of England that got the right to have the weirs that I talked about and control access to the rivers of England for food? What, what's the difference? Why, why, does this, why does this private one company get to do this and nobody else does? Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a really fundamental core visceral, complex problem with allowing water to be exported and sold without recognizing the public sovereign ownership from which the water is a commons and originates. And I think people's outcry is exactly that. It, there's a fundamental injustice between uh, Letting somebody use water for their out of their tap or grow their food or a farmer growing their food and using the water in connection with land in a watershed in a community. And then somebody else over here saying, well, I'm not going to do that. I'll just put it in containers and sell it somewhere and make 10 times as much as the rest of you that live in this community. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem with bottled water. It, it, it opens up the door for a tragedy of the commons over water from each watershed. And what do I mean by tragedy of the commons? Uh, Garrett Hardin used this example of every, you know, let's say there's 10 families around a big field and everybody has a milk cow. And one of the farmer's family one day, they said, well, let's put a cow on there that, let's put a steer out there and sell it somewhere else and have a little extra income. The neighbors look at that and they do it. And the next neighbor does it. Now you got not 10, 10 milk cows, but you got 20 cows. And then somebody else says, I think I'll add a couple more. And pretty soon you got 100 cows and then 1,000 cows and the metal dies. And so you have to be really careful. You have to see water as a commons. You have to, you have to understand that when you open the door for bottled water, you're allowing somebody to profit well, nobody else is, mm -hmm. and you have to, and we have to rethink that. So, one of the pillars, uh, one of the, the pillar of the compact, one of the things we're looking at, at at the compact is to close the definition that exempts water intended for uh, consumers to get rid of that. Mm -hmm. Now, if we're going to have bottled water, it shouldn't be buried in a product exemption that opens up the great water of the Great Lakes to the world because of trade laws and other threats. Mm -hmm. If we're going to do it, somebody ought to do it by getting rid of the product exemption and just simply saying bottled water uh, uh, 
is is going to be allowed, but because it's extracted from the interest of the sovereign, it's not going to cause harm. They're going to get a license. They're going to pay a royalty, and the royalty is going to go into a into a, a trust fund that benefits all citizens. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So let's get into public water, public justice. That's a good segue. So pillar three, public uh -huh. water, public justice. Pillar three is uh, a recognition of what I just said, that uh, water is common to all, and that if it's sovereign, it shouldn't matter whether the water comes out of Macosta County for, for bottled water, or comes out of Lake Huron for the people or Lake Huron or the Detroit River for the people in Detroit, their water source is to common sovereign water of the state of Michigan. Because it's common to all and it's held by the state for the benefit of citizens, there's a fundamental constitutional principle of equal justice under the law. So then you look at the Nestle situation and you look at the Detroit shutoffs and the Flint crisis. Okay, let's look at that. Because those the public our public water public justice model law and that's what it is it's a model law that tries to harmonize the the incongruity and the unconscionable injustice between the sale of water by a few without mm -hmm. sharing the profit with mm -hmm. its state public water and the the inability to even access the public water by the people of Detroit because they can't afford it or the people of Flint because the government failed in its stewardship responsibility to protect health and access to water. So what the public water, public justice law does is, is this. It says, look, all water in the state of Michigan is common to all. It's owned and controlled by the state. It's held in trust. The state has a stewardship responsibility to all to treat everybody equally, to make sure that the water is safe, and to make sure we don't harm the water quality and quantity. Good place to start. It helps everybody, mm -hmm. no matter who you are. The farmer, <laughs> the manufacturing company, the, the, the recreation tourist business, mm -hmm. okay, the tribes who have vital interest in hunting and fishing resources and, 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 and as part of their, it's, it's part of their cultural relationship, their cultural justice. So you have all those interests. So you start with the proposition is this is held for all people. And we are going to make sure that it's equitable and fair to all people. And so we have a law that does this. One, it declares stewardship, trust, responsibility, and control by the state for the benefit of people, not by the state for itself. Okay? Two, water is a common. People who own land or occupy land have a right of reasonable use. It's a constitutional right to use that water in connection with their land. Mm -hmm. Historically, however, that didn't include the right to sell the water. We've never had that problem until bottled water came along. Mm -hmm. Now we got this problem of, is bottled water a reasonable use? Or is it taking something from the sovereign, the common people, and selling it for free? And this law would say, would redeclare the reality, legal reality, that water is common to all, it's managed by the state as a sovereign for all. That's constitutional property water law in every state, okay? 
That's where it starts and ends. So if we're going to have bottled water, maybe we don't want it. Every state can decide that. What's reasonable use? Are we going to allow sale or not? It's not if it's not a reasonable use and it's a sale, how does a bottle of water do that? Company want to do business if you're going to allow it. So you say, well, we're going to allow it just in these places. First thing you do is don't sell spring, don't allow spring water, because spring water by definition means a gallon out of a gallon out of the groundwater that feeds the spring, that feeds the creek and the wetlands is a gallon out of the creek and, and the wetlands, and so headwater areas get ruined. So spring water should be off off the map. You shouldn't do spring water. That's number, that's number one. Uh, number two, if, if, if it's not going to cause any harm, then the company that's taking the water and putting it in a bottle to do that, they need to get a license from the state of, the people of the state of Michigan. And they have to have some reasonable royalty that they pay to reflect the fairness to, to level the playing field between the people in Detroit and Flint that don't have access to water and the rural communities that are getting hammered because of the cost of infrastructure and PFAS and contamination, mm -hmm. that in small communities, the way the law is structured right now, everybody has to share the cost. If the cost goes up, it gets too affordable. It's, it's not affordable for anybody in these small communities. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you take any of our, you know, village of Beulah that had to put a new water tower in, you know, one community after another, and it's going to get worse. So that's the next part of it. The third part is that um, the there will be a trust fund for these royalties, and the trust fund will be managed to put the right to health and access to water for all people, Detroit, Flint, of all color, right, of all background, that they have, they are they they are assured that this fund will make sure that everybody has fundamentally the fundamental rights of access to water and affordable water in the state of Michigan. Why? Because it's all from that common source. There's a constitutional principle of justice and fairness and equal protection of law here, and this is a way in which you can make sure that the company exporting the water and making hundreds of millions is not walking away with profit while other people don't have access to water. Mm -hmm. So this puts in place of the common water a fund tied to what water goes out as long as it doesn't harm to the needs of the citizens of Michigan for public infrastructure, for health testing, for monitoring, for water source protection, for cleanup where it's needed, for the infrastructure changes we need to address climate change and protect water sources in our communities. So it's, it's, an, it's, a, it's a, we call it public water and public justice because it, it recognizes the historical principle and then it takes that principle and achieves some umbrella approach to get to justice without the discrimination that, is, that has been occurring and is still occurring in Flint and Detroit and elsewhere today. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And so the fourth is the Blue Communities Compact. Uh, can you explain that to us? Well, the Blue Community arose out of a project with the Council of the Canadians and our Executive Director Liz Kirkwood and myself and, and Emma Louie, uh, who is part of the Council's 
Blue Water uh, uh, pr project. The idea originally was we need to help communities. All of us have to realize that water is at the center of our lives. And we live in a water cycle. Everybody lives in a watershed. And the, we don't have a unified umbrella approach to, to become water-centric. Right now, we're lands, we do land, we do energy, we do transportation. Everything's planned uh, on, a, on a land base. What we need to what the blue communities approach does, it says we're standing in the water and whatever happens in the watershed can't hurt the water in quantity or quality. And so we are going to reshape our public infrastructure thinking, our land use, our transportation, our energy needs, our, our, our housing needs. We're mm -hmm. going to reshape them in a way that whatever happens doesn't impact the bay for Traverse City, mm -hmm. let's say. We're standing mm -hmm. in the water or the watershed or the river. In other words, if, if you protect the integrity of the water in the, in the watershed in which you live, you make really good, we think, you make really good decisions about quality of life, land use, transportation, all the food, energy, um, uh, and your economy. Now and in the future, mm -hmm. and you make good decisions about the about your children and grandchildren in your community. Mm -hmm. It becomes, in short, a sustainable community because you've shifted from confusion of these different sectors mm. to water centric. Why, why water-centric? Because it's the, it, it's, the, it's the current that flows through the life of a watershed. Economies are defined by it. Uh, I mean, you, you name it. Your life mm -hmm. is defined by it. Jacques Cousteau, the water cycle and the life cycle are one. Mm. And so that's the principle behind blue communities. Practically, what does it mean? Um, the, the project, uh, which has been uh, developed, uh, you know, spearheaded by, by, by uh, our executive director, Liz Kirkwood, and, uh, and, and uh, deputy director, Kelly Thayer, uh, uh, and working with other organizations now and working with organizations around the state, uh, including some universities, the, the project is to come up with, first of all, uh, Resolutions that recognize the need in this century to be water-centric, a blue community, um, or it's called the R20 project. R20 meaning R20 percent of the water. Great Lakes is 20 percent of the, uh, the, the world, uh, world's water, uh, fresh surface water. And so it means that, that you go to municipalities and, and you go to the public and we become aware of this, and we establish a policy principle for each community in, in the watershed that we live. And the, and the policy principle is the integrity of quality and quantity of the water and the things that depend on it. as a paramount interest to other interests. It doesn't mean other things stop. It doesn't mean grow or development stops. It doesn't mean we don't need transportation. It doesn't mean we don't need to grow food. All those things, however, are now centered around the idea of integrity. So how do you achieve that? Well, 
you begin to develop plans and policy and scenarios with climate change that help you redesign infrastructure for drainage, for sedimentation, erosion, um, discharges, uh, clearing hillsides or not. You begin to look at all the things you do in terms of the integrity of the flow and quality of water. Mm -hmm. And so that means you need, uh, uh, you, you need a lens or an umbrella to all your land use decisions, to your capital infrastructure decisions, to your uh, uh, housing decisions, uh, to, to energy decisions, uh, as I've been saying. And, and so you reorder in a very practical way, including mm -hmm. voluntary activities and, and community events mm -hmm. and awareness, like arts and music. And we've been fortunate, and you know, you being a, an artist and a musician can appreciate this more than anybody. And your work itself, uh, you know, as we talk, you know, you're, it's, you've, you've converged water and the arts. And we're doing that at Flow. We, we've yeah. held, held some events, and we'll, we'll continue to recognize the, the importance of this. Mm. So that's part of it, too. It's a cultural, mm -hmm. it, it, it's, it, it's cultural as well. Mm -hmm. And right in the center of this are, are, are the people that were here first. Mm -hmm. You know, white civilization's been here uh, a couple hundred years, <laughs> right? Right. Uh, so there's, an, there's, an, there's a very important cultural relationship that we need to develop similar to the relationship that the tribes have with their natural world. Mm -hmm. And the blue communities is, is uh, uh, fundamentally uh, is similar. And it fundamentally recognizes that relationship that the tribes have. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, you know, that's an important cultural shift and it also brings about a solution to some of the things that we see in the Flint and Detroit and the social justice questions that you you talked about uh, and, the, and the racial discrimination, it, it, it helps address those questions because we build our communities around something that's common. And I'm not talking about interfering with entrepreneurship and business and capitalism, but capitalism is a matter of scale. It, it's not an oligarchy. Right? It's supposed to be creativity, entrepreneurship, new things that help, that do good. And so I, I think this is all part of what we mean by, by blue communities. Mm -hmm. And um, generational looking forward. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing your vi yeah. vision, your yeah. work. Well, that's more than my. That's that's just not my vision. That's that's you know, but Flo's vision. Absolutely, we have, a, we have a lot of wonderful people that are on our board. And, you uh, do that work on our staff, from our director and uh, you know, uh, well, Liz and Dave and Kelly and every everybody mm -hmm. here is uh, uh, dedicated to uh, uh, the idea that we started with and developing it and developing the vision into ways that are real, mm -hmm. that actually aren't just theoretical. Well, I mean, you know, what, what good is it to just be theoretical when you can actually try, try and start and, and learn as we go to apply these principles to the world that we live in, right here in mm -hmm. Traverse City, in Lansing, in the Great Lakes Basin, mm -hmm. you know, be it uh, 
Milwaukee and the Foxconn situation or, mm -hmm. or uh, the algal blooms on Lake Erie. We all live in the Great Lakes Basin. My last question, you touched on it already, it's, it's the role of arts and culture in the movement. Um, and you, you know, you have music in your family, your son Jimmy Olsen is a brilliant pianist yeah, and composer exactly. and arranger, and your nephew Kenny Olsen is famous. Uh, he has a stage name, named after him here in town and played with Kid Rock and, you know, incredibly versatile. And uh, I know you have a personal appreciation for, for music and the arts, but what yeah, role... The, the genes didn't hit me, but I, I, I love music. <laughs> <laughs> so what role does it play in the movement, and, and what music do you listen to to inspire you? Well, the, the, the music changes from, from uh, you know, one week to the next, <laughs> uh -huh. as you can appreciate. But... Um, um, recently, it's been uh, Leonard Cohen. Uh, he's got some hard messages. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we're not going to see Noah Ark again, I think is one of his new lines. Uh, you know, wow. uh, it's, it's not going to be that way. It's going to be burning. Uh, and we sow what we reap. So, you know, I hear that and I go, boy, <laughs> it's not pleasant. But, you know, let's turn that around and make it, make it positive. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, and, and his hallelujah Composition of Hallelujah, which took him years. Um, I just listened to that the other night with some friends, and um, and so th those things are. And, and I actually um, have been reading, had been reading about him in the last year or so, and his travels in Greece and how he got to where he got. And uh, so uh, you know, you connect the music with the person and the, the life where they live, mm -hmm. kind of. Absolutely. You know, uh, like, impossible not to do that. <laughs> like our, uh, so our you grew mutual. Up, you grew up on, you know, on, on the farm in Lake City, and, uh -huh. uh, and so that's uh, part and parcel of your music. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we're fortunate to have a music community like we do in northern Michigan as well as Michigan and the Great Lakes Basin. It's really something, um, uh, including the artists. Uh, the, some of the artists, we had a... So we had a um, a wonderful event a few weeks back uh, at the Higher Gallery mm. uh, featuring art mm. and water. And, um, and then we've got the Love Letters to the Great Lakes that was presented to the International Joint Commission by writers. So I, I think it's just rich, and I think the importance is that uh, all of us, uh, the, the, everybody's got a, a little musician in them, and everybody's got art in them and everybody's got writing in them, something to say. And it doesn't have to be anything, you know, in the lights. It's just that it's part of our community and mm -hmm. uh, it flows kind of like the water flows through our community. And, and, and uh, you know, I mean, uh, and behind all this is, you know, uh, uh, the, 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 the spirit of, of life itself. And so, uh, you know, they're, they're not they're not apart from each other as as i as i view it <laughs> or experience it i don't know if i view it that way yeah i'm with you well thank you again for your time jim yeah. appreciate you keep yeah. up the good work thank you and uh visit yeah, no, I, flow. I appreciate you doing this thank yeah. you thank you yeah. visit flowforwater.org to learn more listen to some leonard cohen
and yeah. uh, and yes. you know, stay tuned. This this is very very vital work for the times that we live in, and make a contribution if you can. Thank you, and good luck with your work in title track. Hey, yeah. in it together, side yeah. by side. State of Water is powered by the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan. This campaign represents an opportunity to help place clean water issues front and center by partnering with environmental organizations across the state, by educating voters, and by urging every candidate running for public office to make a strong stand on critical issues affecting Michigan's waters. Using storytelling and music events across the state to amplify the groundswell of public support for clean water issues, this campaign is driven by Michiganders from all walks of life who share a similar priority, protection of our water. Both State of Water and the Clean Water Campaign are programs of the Michigan-based nonprofit Title Track. Their mission, engaging creative practice to build resilient social ecological systems that support clean water, racial equity, and youth empowerment. If what you've heard in this episode resonates with you, take the first step to getting involved. Go to TitleTrackMichigan.org and click Contact to sign up for our mailing list. Don't miss an episode. Tune in next time.